0: Welcome back to Health Law Diagnosed, a mince podcast dedicated to health law, health policy, and social issues in the healthcare industry. I'm Bridget Keller, your podcast host. Today, we are returning to a hot topic in the health law industry, particularly since the beginning of the public health emergency, telehealth. I am here with my colleague, Cassie Paolillo, who you have all met before. Hi, Cassie. Thanks for coming today. Hi, Bridget. Happy to be here. Cassie, The last time you joined us on Health Law Diagnosed to discuss telehealth, we focused on the regulatory landscape that was driven largely by the public health emergency and expansions in coverage and reimbursement, as well as loosening of licensure requirements. Have there been any major updates to these areas this year?
1: Well, the public health emergency was last renewed in April of 2022. Um, it was renewed for an additional 90 days. However, the Biden administration has announced that they'll, it will give at least 60 days notice before it allows the public health emergency to expire altogether. Um, so it looks like it will be renewed again in July. Further updates, in March, Congress's federal appropriations package included some provisions that extended some of the Medicare flexibilities related to telehealth that have increased access for a lot of Medicare beneficiaries. So pursuant to the the appropriations package, some of those waivers will be expanded for about five months following the end of the public health emergency. And I think, you know, a lot of people who are in the industry and watching the industry are hopeful that Congress will eventually act to make some of those flexibilities and other flexibilities around online prescribing and and telehealth in general permanent so that they'll they'll continue to be in place on a permanent basis. On the state level, most of the states at this point uh, are no longer under applicable emergency orders. So a lot of those flexibilities we spoke about last time that had been you know, issued on a temporary basis have expired. However, at the same time, the state legislatures have been very active in passing new telehealth laws to make things more flexible for providers and ultimately to increase access.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. I feel like um, everybody is really hoping that these flexibilities do remain in place because accessing healthcare via telehealth has been a huge benefit during the public health emergency. So I know people have become more comfortable with it and, you know, definitely are hoping that it stays as prominent a piece of the healthcare system as it has become.
1: I certainly hope so. And it, I think when you talk to providers and patients alike, people are pretty well convinced that telehealth has been one of the few positives to come out of um, the public health emergency. And I agree, people are getting more comfortable with it and really seeing all of the ways that it's has helped increase access to care. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And Cassie, you were an expert in telehealth regulations long before the public health emergency. So I know that the last two and a half years have taken a few interesting turns, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your practice generally and the expertise of the Mints digital health team?
1: Sure. Yeah. Prior to the pandemic, I certainly weighed in on um, telehealth issues for some of our established clients who were either had been providing telehealth for decades, or who were starting to launch into it in a in a more limited. Fashion, you know, that's certainly picked up a lot in in the past two years. We've seen a lot more startups uh, come to bear, um, a lot more brick and mortar providers that are looking to develop telehealth offerings. Our digital health group is a great interdisciplinary team. Uh, we meet regularly. We advise all sorts of clients on different regulatory risks. Covers a lot of you know your traditional. Telehealth providers, you would think of, but a lot of other really unique and innovative digital health providers, and yeah, we've we've certainly been really busy over the past two years, and doesn't seem like it's slowing down anytime.
0: Oh, for sure, definitely not. And you know that brings us to what we're going to focus on today, uh, which is how telehealth has the potential to address disparities in access to healthcare. So, like we were just talking about, the public health emergency orders that. Increased reimbursement and loosened restrictions regarding licensure, all of this work to accelerate the development and refinement of telehealth platforms, right? The overall adoption of telehealth in traditional providers offices, just like you were saying, Cassie, the brick and mortar um, offices, And it also increased the general comfort with using technology to access healthcare. And so, Cassie, you have invited two great guest speakers to join us today. And the first is Andy Ward, who is the director of the South Boston Collaborative Center. And his team, he's going to tell us how his team pivoted quickly after the public health emergency was declared so that it could continue providing access to critical mental health services to their patient population. And our second guest will be Kate Steinley, who's the Chief Clinical Officer of Folks Health, a company that specializes in LGBTQ plus healthcare services and leverages telehealth to ensure access to healthcare in an environment that is comfortable and safe for the patient. So with that, why don't we have Andy join us? Hi, Andy. Thanks so much for coming on to the podcast today.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Welcome to Health Law Diagnosed. We are going to ask you a bunch of questions today about your background and your work at the South Boston Collaborative Center, and I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, Cassie Payalil, to lead us in
1: our discussion. Hi, Andy. It's great to talk to you today.
2: Same here, Cassie. Good to talk to you.
1: So uh, just to start out, could you tell us a little bit about the South Boston Collaborative Center um, and your role at the organization?
2: Sure. I'm the director of the South Boston Collaborative Center. We provide outpatient counseling and case management services to the greater Boston community. We've been in the community since 1997, and uh, we have an affiliation with the Boston Public Health Commission. Our mission is to provide treatment services and case management services regardless of anyone's social status and we try to maximize access. And we're located in one of the developments in South Boston. And the reason we're here is, again, for access.
1: That's great. And I I should say in in the interest of full disclosure that I do proudly serve on the board of the, the South Boston Collaborative Center. And, you know, I'm thrilled to be associated with an organization that does such important work. Can you just give us some background on what experience you had with telehealth prior to 2020 and the COVID-19 public health emergency?
2: Yeah, sure. That seems like a lifetime ago to tell you the truth in uh, terms of how we how we work today. We had limited experience with telehealth and uh most third-party insurers and the state licensing systems did not recognize its use often, so typically we were limited to in-person appointments.
1: Um, and I'm sure that changed very quickly in March of 2020. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yes, it certainly did. It um, you know during the uh, emergency phase of the pandemic, where we're all at home, we had to really. Uh, had to be quick on our feet to put in uh, the technology to use. I mean, obviously, we could use cell phones and uh, landlines, but uh, the technology for telehealth around virtual appointments and just make sure we had the literally the bandwidth through our routers to uh, carry it. So it's uh, very different today.
1: Sure. Can you speak a little bit about the ways in which telehealth has allowed you to, um, to increase access to behavioral health services for the marginalized groups that you serve?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So the population historically we work with is considered marginalized and with, uh, substance use. And, uh, Most people, it's very shaming and it's difficult for them to acknowledge that it's such a problem or they need to have treatment. Also, what's happened in the past, I'd say four or five years, there's greater openness around diversity in general with the population we work with, around LGBT and people of color and accessing our uh, services. So one thing... uh, Certainly, telehealth has made it so much easier for people to, if they can be at home, they can be in their car, they can hopefully in a private spot in the park if they need to be, and have an appointment and uh, reach out to us. You know, in those ways, folks feel some greater measure of control as well as access to us, and it's just in the palm of your hand. You have, in a matter of speaking. Access to you know a therapy session, so it's made a in that way it's made a tremendous difference for folks to for us to be able to connect with people who can use our help.
1: That's really incredible. I mean, I think when we talk about increasing access to care and the ways telehealth can be useful um, going forward, I think that's you know exactly what we're talking about. Um, so it's great to hear a, a real real world example of that. Just, you know, in your opinion, as uh, as a provider, what role do you think telehealth will play, um, you know, post COVID-19 once things go back to normal? do you think it's here to stay?
2: <laughs> Did you
1: say things go back to
2: normal? <laughs> <laughs> in, a in a matter of speaking. As normal as it can be. <laughs> as normal as it can be. Well, I, uh, I certainly think, uh, you know, the behavioral health industry or the healthcare industry, like many other industries, I think uh, telehealth and remote work is here in, to stay in in uh, a variety of forms where you have, we here, we're going to be doing hybrid work. And, you know, you might have half of your caseload, you're providing telehealth work, or the other half may be coming in in person. So I, it's really happening now. It's really here to stay for the future. And actually, if you look on online or I think I saw some ads on uh well, they're either on podcasts or on television for uh teletherapy they have uh dedicated companies that all they do is uh virtual appointments now uh which was very different than even two years ago. It was really uh rare to find an operation that was all telehealth but it's more common now and i I see it going forward being a an integral part of uh any mental health, or behavior health services operation.
1: Oh, absolutely. I know um, I hear the ads on on other podcasts all the time about these telehealth companies that are blowing up, and certainly we, we work with plenty of clients that have really broken into that space. So I, I also hope it's here to stay because it, it does bring a lot of convenience to,
2: to getting care. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Definitely.
0: Andy, have you found that um, more patients are accessing services now um, through the center that weren't before because they have the option of telehealth?
2: Uh, Yes. Well, I think I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, we are in South Boston, and most of the people we work with were locally to Boston. With telehealth, it's just sort of expanded our range and where people will contact us through our website or sometimes they'll call us up and they're outside of greater Boston, sort of the Western suburbs. The South shore is a big area. We get folks reaching out to us and some people from the North shore. So it's expanded our reach and expanded the request for services. So the short answer to your question is yes, it certainly has allowed greater access and expanded our ability to reach to folks the pandemic has also exacerbated existing stressors and increased the need for services you know i'm sure people have seen in the news the headlines that increasing rates of depression and anxiety the overdose rates are the highest that they've ever been and uh, relapse rates uh, are very high around substance use and uh a lot of that is a result of the pandemic and the isolation that's uh, come from it. So we certainly have more people reaching out to us. We have for us now a wait list and we try to triage people as and when they contact us, depending on what their level of need is and how to connect them to service. If we can't provide it, somebody that can. So so I know that's a long answer to your question, but it's it's there's a real capacity need out there in the behavioral health world these days. It's just not enough service providers.
0: It, that makes a lot of sense, but, you know, it sounds like telehealth as a tool to reach these populations has been, you know, excellent. Um, And I'm so glad to hear that you all were able to pivot, even though it sounds like there were some challenges to work through at the beginning of the public health emergency. I'm glad you were able to pivot and provide these services via telehealth because, you know, you are able to reach these um, marginalized groups and with a true significant need.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's made a significant difference uh, for us and for the people we serve.
1: It's, it's really incredible. And, you know, as someone who works with a lot of telehealth providers, it's, it's just really heartening to hear the ways that it's really making a tangible difference in people's lives, even in spite of some of the challenges and you know around capacity and things like that. But it's, it's just really great to talk to you and hear about the ways that telehealth has.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a tool that we have available to us. I, I think uh, one of the challenges going forward is, uh, you know, when you're working with marginalized groups to ensure that they have the technology available to them, you know whether it's through internet access or they have the adequate hardware to to make use of it. You know there are some challenges around that, but by and large, you know, just the technology is uh, so available. So,
1: yeah, that's really great. And you know, I hope you know during the public health emergency there have been a lot of loosening of the requirements to allow audio only. Um, interactions and things like that and then certainly around payment for telehealth services so
2: right right yeah that was a prior to the pandemic reimbursement payment for the service was uh there was no parity with it now there is and that's uh that's another you know incentive for people to do more telehealth work because it's uh you can get reimbursed at the same rate as an in-person appointment Right. And it's, it's looking
1: like that might be made permanent. So that would be um, good news all around. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much, Andy, for joining us today. This was a great conversation. Really enlightening to hear the ways that telehealth is making a difference for providers and for the patients that you see. So I really, uh, really appreciate your taking the time to talk to us.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Happy to talk about the work we do. And thank you for inviting me on. Very happy to be here. Great. Thank you. Thank
1: you, Andy.
0: Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to Health Law Diagnosed. Great. I'm so excited to be here and have this conversation. Cassie, why don't we turn it over to you to start introducing Kate and tell us a little bit about what we're going to talk about today.
1: All right. Great. Thank you. Well, Kate Steinley is the Chief Clinical Officer at Folks Health. And, Kate, why don't you jump in and tell us a little bit about Folks and your role at the
3: company? Sure. So Folks Health started about a year and a half ago, and we are the leading health and wellness platform for LGBTQ AI care we have mostly been doing hormone care for trans and non binary members at this point we offer a couple different things from sexual and reproductive health and going into primary care and a whole bunch of other things coming down the pike in the next year so we're really you know focused on providing full scope care for that community and all through telehealth at this point so everything that we do and we started right after covid hit so Everything that we do is through telehealth, and we connect with members through video visits, through asynchronous visits, and um, provide care and and meet them where they are.
1: You guys are really doing um, incredible work in this space. And Kate, I know you yourself are a nurse practitioner. Can you speak a little bit about what your experience with telehealth was prior to uh, joining FOLKS and prior to the pandemic?
3: Yeah, um, you know, I was solely an in-person provider prior to FOLKS, except the few months right before joining FOLKS at the beginning of the pandemic, I was working at Planned Parenthood in New York City, and we made a whole bunch of pivots right at that time over to telehealth. So I was in charge of implementing all of those programs and kind of getting both the training on telehealth adjusting our protocols, kind of maneuvering through the regulations that was only for New York State at that time. So I had, you know, a quick learning experience in early 2020 about that. And then moved over to Folks a little bit later in the year, around May of 2020. So it wasn't a long time in telehealth prior to to folks, but it was definitely kind of a, a sped up learning experience during that time.
1: I'm sure and I know you're not alone in and having that experience. Right, right. a lot lot of people made that pivot very quickly. So can you just speak a little bit to the ways in which telehealth broadly and for folks in particular, increases access to healthcare for marginalized groups?
3: Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things when I first started working in telehealth is the, the concern that I had is like, we wouldn't be able to Connect with people as well, or we wouldn't, you know, there'd be some limiting factors there. But really, what I've experienced and what we've seen so much of at folks and with the members that we care for is the Ability to meet people where they are in the comfort of their own home and to kind of create a sense of community and caring environment around those people has meant everything and has really changed that dynamic. And I think especially for the, the group that we work with, where, you know, their, their treatment, their experience in the healthcare system has been not great at best and sometimes mistreatment and abuse at worst that we can, you know, by by meeting them where they are and building that sense of trust that they already feel comfortable in their own home, they don't have to interact with, let's say, a security guard at the um, health center. They don't have to go through all of the intake paperwork that might not apply to them. We actually have kind of that control to be able to manage and create that, you know, affirming setting for them to access their healthcare and really just matters so much, especially to this community. And I think, obviously, that's that's one piece in terms of creating trust and, and comfort there. But we also think about, you know, what we are doing across the entire country and being able to create this access for places in that, you know, people exist in care deserts, right? Where they not just care deserts that they can't access healthcare, because maybe they can access healthcare in their, in their small town that they live in, but can they access affirming healthcare that actually is going to treat them in a, in a way that really honors and empowers their identity and their, um, their life and, and who they are? That's what I feel like being able to do that for this group of people is, is really how we stand out and what we're, what we're really all about. Kate, what
0: FOLKS is doing is really incredible, and it sounds like it's meeting a truly significant need for this patient population. Have you found that you are providing services to patients who haven't accessed healthcare in a long time or who wouldn't otherwise be accessing healthcare?
3: Yes, definitely. We, you know, a lot of the members that come to see us, as I was saying, really have had negative experiences with healthcare in the past. And then when they've had that one negative experience, it really has pushed them away from accessing healthcare. And that might be just, you know, regular generalized follow-ups or preventive healthcare, you know, cancer screenings, all of those things, because they just are like, well, if I've had that one experience, why would I put myself through that again? So when they see a company like folks where, our entire kind of way that we present ourselves and the way that we market out into the world is like, you don't have to explain yourself, you don't have to worry that you're going to be assumed to be something that you are not, we are really going to create this space where you can walk in, be yourself, and we are going to create that comfortable and, and open and accepting spot. so we have definitely had people who you know this is the first time I've ever been able to talk to my clinician about things that are going on in my life. I haven't seen somebody for this type of care in a long time. my my one clinician that I used to have that was wonderful in providing my hormone care stopped providing it in my in my state or in my town and I didn't have anyone else to access so I haven't been on hormones for many years. Those are definitely stories that we hear a lot, a bunch. And, you know, our hope is that not only will they be able to come to us for this one particular thing, but we'll be able to kind of create this environment around healthcare that really shifts things for them so that they can actually understand that we are here to care for their whole selves and, and that, you know, ideally as we grow and can kind of bring our training and our model of care to other healthcare situations out there, even in person as we create those referral networks, that we can pass on the affirming and empowering way that we treat people to other situations so that we can kind of broaden that scope and that, that ability for, you know, ideally, let's say in 10 years, we like everyone is kind of creating healthcare in this way where, it is affirming. It is empowering. It is a partnership. And we won't have to have as many people come to us with these negative experiences yeah. because it will be broader.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I I hope, you know, this is a piece of the overall goals moving towards health equity um, at all levels throughout the healthcare system. system. Um, so I, com- I completely agree. That would be wonderful, you know, if we're able to achieve that.
1: Mm hmm. And it really is incredible, Kate, to see how much folks has grown over, as you said, the past year and a half since you started. How many states is folks currently able to see patients in?
3: We are currently live in 37 states, and we are planning to open up in, I believe, seven more states in the coming months. So by the end of I think quarter 3 and definitely by the end of this year we will be live in all of the states that we are allowed to be in in terms of providing telehealth um so we are definitely growing and have had some had some pretty good growth in the past year and really excited to get you know get to a place where we can say like we're available wherever you are
1: that's it's just really incredible i mean thinking about your prior experience of in person care in new york And, you know, then being able to expand to other states, more rural areas, your reach is just, it's really incredible.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know, when I think about oftentimes when people are in small towns or rural areas, like those are... The visits that are the kind of the most touching and heartwarming and feel like, oh, my gosh, the amount of difference that we are making to these people, you know, we might be the only person that they have spoken to about what is going on for them and that we can be if that's if we are that first person and then we can approach them and be able to kind of provide that that experience that is just only positive positive then what a difference that can make kind of going forward. And, you know, and, and again, then that person then goes, leaves the computer screen and goes out to the rest of their life. And we don't have control over that, but at least we have that experience that we can offer them. Um, I think it's just, it's an extremely powerful thing to be a part of. And I think a lot of our clinicians and our, that entire clinical team feels that when they, when they meet with people who, you know, really don't have this access elsewhere.
1: It's really, really incredible. I wonder now. So you've been working in telehealth, you know, exclusively during the, the public health emergency associated with COVID-19. What role do you see telehealth playing in the future and, you know, a, a post COVID world if we ever get there?
3: Yeah. So I think what's interesting about this is like, you know, when, when you think about clinical studies or ways to prove that a certain modality or something is working, for a group of people, it usually has to go through so many years of processes, right? You have to show like, and, and there's so much kind of, um, there's not backlash, what I would say, but just like there's stagnation, right? It doesn't, it takes so long to get to a point of of the authorities or, or regulation showing that it actually is effective and safe. But we... You know, COVID obviously is devastating and has been horrible in so many ways, but for telehealth and for our ability to move the needle here, it's been amazing because we've all been thrown into it. And the data that we get from this about how safe it is, how effective it is, how much people actually like this and and prefer this as a way of connecting with their healthcare providers is just, it had to be turned on, right? It had to be like, this is, we've now been thrown into it. Now we have these two years of showing safety and efficacy, which is monumental. So I can't see us going backwards. I can see like what I see for the future of telehealth is like, we are, telehealth is always going to be around and the importance of it is only going to grow I I think people are understanding that the how much access this provides, how, you know, people don't have to take off a full day of work to get to their doctor's office. Right. People, um, you know, don't have to get child care to go have their appointment. Those are things that, that are integrated now into people's lives that will be very hard to turn back the dial on. And again, from a scientific and clinical background, we now it's not just like, oh, this is great for people. We think it's great for people. We know it's great for people. We see the effect. We've measured that effect and we have the data here. So it's I think it is looking really good for what the role of telehealth will play.
1: I certainly hope it's here to stay. I know myself personally, it's been great, you know, accessing telehealth appointments for um, for myself and family members. It does. It just makes things so much easier and removes, right. you know, so many of those logistical barriers to getting care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What would you say some of the biggest challenges that are facing telehealth providers today?
3: Um Well, patchwork legislation, right? So we have, especially as a national company that is trying to get across all the states, like they're maneuvering through state-by-state regulations and understanding all of that in a shifting landscape is, as you know, because we are constantly asking questions of our legal teams, like it can be a headache. It can be something where, you know, both interpreting... The regulations, adjusting to new things, that's tricky. And I think one of the things that I have found um, difficult, both as the, the head of the clinical team and kind of explaining to the clinicians, too, is like we are extrapolating information from um, from in-person regulations, right? None of this, since this is much of the telehealth regulations are new, they're still being developed we don't have things to pinpoint answers to all the time. There's oftentimes where we're trying to understand how do we adapt this to telehealth and how does this, how do we make sense of it? And so I think, you know, if I think about it, I was in the world that I provide care in as well, in terms of the clinical care for for queer and trans bodies, there's not a lot of data or studies around it, right? So we are also extrapolating and adjusting the data that exists out there for the type of care that we're doing from a clinical setting. And we're kind of doing that for telehealth as well, right? We're like, all right, so they tell us in person it has to happen this way. And then during the public health emergency, it's happening this way. And so what are we doing about practice? And so, you know, we're, we're really like that kind of maneuvering through and understanding and dissecting and kind of like digesting all of that information is no small task. And it is, you know, sometimes confusing. And I think what in an ideal world, we have federal legislation that's passed that allows us all to have kind of a framework around which we practice telehealth so that things are clear things are uniform and they're data driven right they're they're clinical and data driven which is really what i feel like makes the most sense as a clinician like okay if it works let's put it into practice if we've tested it and it makes sense and it's doing good and it's not doing harm let's make let's codify this and that's you know the biggest challenge is that we're not yet there and i hope we will get there
1: I I hope we do too. This was great. Thank you so much, Kate, for taking the time and for sharing your perspective. It's always great for us as healthcare lawyers to have the opportunity to talk to a clinician, you know, somebody who's actually on the ground working with patients. And you know, not just us sitting here behind our computers getting bogged down with the the regulations and the statutes and all of that. So I really appreciate the time. This is a really interesting conversation.
3: Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. And, you know, I know that you spend a lot of time behind the computer and looking through all that stuff, and that's actually what allows us to do the work that we do. So it is, um, you know, equally appreciative of the work that you all do um, in order to help us maneuver through all of this as well.
1: Well,
0: thank you for that. Kate, thank you again for joining us. And Cassie, thank you for facilitating this great discussion. Listeners, if you have any questions about this or previous episodes, please email us at healthlawdiagnosed at mints.com and plan to tune in to our next episode, which will feature my colleague Jeannie Krebs and a discussion on medical-legal partnerships. I'm Bridget Keller, and this was Health Law Diagnosed.